0: Paul said, "'Please go on with your dinner. I believe Dr. Kynes was discussing water.' "'May we discuss it another time?' Kynes asked. "'By all means,' Paul said. And Jessica noted with pride her son's dignity, the mature sense of assurance. The banker picked up his water flagon, gestured with it at Bute. "'None of us here can surpass Master Lingar Bute in flowery phrases.' One might almost assume he aspired to great house status. Come, Master Butte, lead us in a toast. Perhaps you've a dollop of wisdom for the boy who must be treated like a man. Jessica clenched her right hand into a fist beneath the table. She saw a hand signal pass from Halleck to Idaho, saw the house troopers along the walls move into positions of maximum guard. Butte cast a venomous glare at the banker. Paul glanced at Halleck, took in the defensive positions of his guards, looked at the banker until the man lowered the water flagon. He said, Once on Caledon, I saw the body of a drowned fisherman recovered. He drowned. It was the stillsuit manufacturer's daughter. Paul hesitated, then, Yes, immersed in water until dead. Drowned. What an interesting way to die, she murmured. Paul's smile became brittle. He returned his attention to the banker. The interesting thing about this man was the wounds on his shoulders, made by another fisherman's claw boots. This fisherman was one of several in a boat, a craft for traveling on water, that foundered, sank beneath the water. Another fisherman, helping recover the body, said he'd seen marks like this man's wounds several times. They meant another drowning fisherman had tried to stand on this poor fellow's shoulders, in the attempt to reach up to the surface. To reach air. Why is this interesting? The banker asked. Because of an observation made by my father at the time. He said, the drowning man who climbs on your shoulders to save himself is understandable. Except when you see it happen in the drawing room. Paul hesitated just long enough for the banker to see the point coming. Then, and, I should add, except when you see it at the dinner table. A sudden stillness enfolded the room. That was rash, Jessica thought. This banker might have enough rank to call my son out. She saw that Idaho was poised for instant action. The house troopers were alert. Gurney Halleck had his eyes on the men opposite him. Ho, ho, ho! It was the smuggler, Tuek. Head thrown back, laughing with complete abandon. Nervous smiles appeared around the table. Mute was grinning. The banker had pushed his chair back, was glaring at Paul. Kynes said, One baits an Atreides at his own risk. Is it a Atreides' custom to insult their guests? The banker demanded. Before Paul could answer, Jessica leaned forward said, Sir, and she thought, We must learn this Harkonnen creature's game. Is he here to try for Paul? Does he have help? My son displays a general garment, and you claim it's cut to your fit? Jessica asked. What a fascinating revelation. She slid a hand down to her leg, to the Chris knife she had fastened in a calf-sheath. The banker turned his glare on Jessica. Eyes shifted away from Paul, and she saw him ease himself back from the table, freeing himself for action. He had focused on the code word, Garment. Prepare for violence. Kynes directed a speculative look at Jessica, gave a subtle hand signal to Tuek. The smuggler lurched to his feet, lifted his flagon. "'I'll give you a toast,' he said, "'to young Paul Atreides. Still a lad by his looks, but a man by his actions.' Why do they intrude? Jessica asked herself. The banker stared now at Kynes, and Jessica saw terror return to the agent's face. People began responding all around the table. Where Kynes leads, people follow, Jessica thought. He has told us he sides with Paul. What's the secret of his power? It can't be because he's judge of the change. That's temporary, and certainly not because he's a civil servant. She removed her hand from the criss-knife hilt, lifted her flagon to Kynes, who responded in kind. Only Paul and the banker, Sue Sue, what an idiotic nickname, Jessica thought, remained empty-handed. The banker's attention stayed fixed on Kynes. Paul stared at his plate. I was handling it correctly, Paul thought. Why do they interfere? He glanced covertly at the male guests nearest him. Prepare for violence? From whom? Certainly not from that banker fellow. Halleck stirred, spoke as though to no one in particular, directing his words over the heads of the guests across from him. In our society, people shouldn't be quick to take offence. It's frequently suicidal. He looked at the steel suit manufacturer's daughter beside him. Don't you think so, miss? Oh, yes. Yes, indeed I do, she said. There's too much violence. It makes me sick. And lots of times no offense is meant, but people die anyway. It doesn't make sense. Indeed it doesn't, Halleck said. Jessica saw the near perfection of the girl's act, realized that empty-headed little female is not an empty-headed little female. She saw then the pattern of the threat and understood that Halleck too had detected it. They had planned to lure Paul with sex. Jessica relaxed. Her son had probably been the first to see it. His training hadn't overlooked that obvious gambit. Kynes spoke to the banker. Isn't another apology in order? The banker turned a sickly grin toward Jessica, said, My lady, I fear I've overindulged in your wines. You serve potent drink at table, and I'm not accustomed to it. Jessica heard the venom beneath his tone, spoke sweetly. When strangers meet, great allowance should be made for differences of custom and training. Thank you, my lady, he said. The dark-haired companion of the still-suit manufacturer leaned toward Jessica, said, The Duke spoke of our being secure here. I do hope that doesn't mean more fighting. She was directed to lead the conversation this way, Jessica thought. Likely this will prove unimportant, Jessica said. But there's so much detail requiring the duke's personal attention in these times As long as enmity continues between Atreides and Harkonnen We cannot be too careful The duke has sworn calmly. He will leave no Harkonnen agent alive on Arrakis, of course She glanced at the guild bank agent And the conventions naturally support him in this She shifted her attention to Kynes Is this not so, Dr. Kynes? Indeed it is, Kynes said The steel suit manufacturer pulled his companion gently back. She looked at him, said, I do believe I'll eat something now. I'd like some of that bird dish you served earlier. Jessica signaled a servant, turned to the banker. And you, sir, were speaking of birds earlier and of their habits. I find so many interesting things about Arrakis. Tell me, where is the spice found? Do the hunters go deep into the desert? Oh, no, my lady, he said. Very little's known of the deep desert, and almost nothing of the southern regions. "'There's a tale that a great mother motherload of spice is to be found in the southern reaches,' Kynes said. "'But I suspect it was an imaginative invention, made solely for purposes of a song. Some daring spice hunters do, on occasion, penetrate into the edge of the central belt, but that's extremely dangerous. Navigation is uncertain. Storms are frequent.' "'Casualties increase dramatically the farther you operate from shield-wall bases. "'It hasn't been found profitable to venture too far south. "'Perhaps if we had a weather satellite.' "'Butte looked up, spoke around a mouthful of food. "'It said the Fremen travel there, "'that they go anywhere and have hunted out soaks and Sipwells "'even in the southern latitudes.' "'Soaks and Sipwells? Jessica asked. "'Kynes spoke quickly.' Wild rumours, my lady. These are known on other planets, not on Arrakis. A soak is a place where water seeps to the surface, or near enough to the surface to be found by digging according to certain signs. A sip-well is a form of soak where a person draws water through a straw. So it is said. There's deception in his words, Jessica thought. Why is he lying? Paul wondered. How very interesting, Jessica said. And she thought, it is said. What a curious speech mannerism they have here. If they only knew what it reveals about their dependence on superstitions. I've heard you have a saying, Paul said, that polish comes from the cities, wisdom from the desert. There are many sayings on Arrakis, Kynes said. Before Jessica could frame a new question, a servant bent over her with a note. She opened it, saw the Duke's handwriting and code signs, scanned it. You'll all be delighted to know, she said, that our duke sends his reassurances. The matter which called him away has been settled. The missing carryall has been found. A Harkonnen agent in the crew overpowered the others and flew the machine to a smuggler's base, hoping to sell it there. Both man and machine were turned over to our forces. She nodded to Tuick. The smuggler nodded back. Jessica refolded the note, tucked it into her sleeve. I'm glad it didn't come to open battle, the banker said. The people have such hopes the Atreides will bring peace and prosperity. Especially prosperity, Bute said. Shall we have our dessert now? Jessica asked. I've had our chef prepare a caladan sweet, pongee rice in sauce dulce. It sounds wonderful, the stillsuit manufacturer said. Would it be possible to get the recipe? Any recipe you desire, Jessica said registering the man for later mention to Howard. The steel suit manufacturer was a fearful little climber and could be bought. Small talk resumed around her. Such a lovely fabric. He's having a setting made to match the jewel. We might try for a production increase next quarter. Jessica stared down at her plate, thinking of the coded part of Leto's message. The Harkonnens tried to get in a shipment of lay's guns. We captured them. This may mean they've succeeded with other shipments. It certainly means they don't place much store in shields. Take appropriate precautions. Jessica focused her mind on Lay's guns, wondering. The white-hot beams of disruptive light could cut through any known substance, provided that substance was not shielded. The fact that feedback from a shield would explode both Lay's gun and shield did not bother the Harkonnens. Why? A laser gun shield explosion was a dangerous variable, could be more powerful than atomics, could kill only the gunner and his shielded target. The unknowns here filled her with uneasiness. Paul said, ''I've never doubted we'd find the carrier. Once my father moves to solve a problem, he solves it. This is a fact the Harkonnens are beginning to discover.'' ''He's boasting,'' Jessica thought. ''He shouldn't boast.'' No person who will be sleeping far below ground level this night as a precaution against Lays Guns has the right to boast. There is no escape. We pay for the violence of our ancestors. From the collected sayings of Muad'Dib by the Princess Irulan. Jessica heard the disturbance in the great hall, turned on the light beside her bed. The clock there had not been properly adjusted to local time, and she had to subtract twenty-one minutes to determine that it was about two a.m. The disturbance was loud and incoherent. Is this the Harkonnen attack? she wondered. She slipped out of bed, checked the screen monitors to see where her family was. The screen showed Paul asleep in the deep cellar room they'd hastily converted to a bedroom for him. The noise obviously wasn't penetrating to his quarters. There was no one in the duke's room. His bed was unrumpled. Was he still at the field CP? There were no screens yet to the front of the house. Jessica stood in the middle of her room, listening. There was one shouting, incoherent voice. She heard someone call for Dr. Yui. Jessica found a robe, pulled it over her shoulders, pushed her feet into slippers, strapped the crisp knife to her leg. Again a voice called out for Yui. Jessica belted the robe around her, stepped into the hallway Then the thought struck her What if Leto's hurt? The hall seemed to stretch out forever under her running feet She turned through the arch at the end Dashed past the dining hall and down the passage to the great hall Finding the place brightly lighted All the war suspensors glowing at maximum To her right, near the front entry She saw two house guards holding Duncan Idaho between them his head lolled forward, and there was an abrupt panting silence to the scene. One of the house guards spoke accusingly to Idaho, "You see what you did. You woke the lady Jessica. The great draperies billowed behind the men, showing that the front door remained open. There was no sign of the Duke or Ewe. Mapes stood to one side, staring coldly at Idaho. She wore a long brown robe with serpentine design at the hem. Her feet were pushed into unlaced desert boots. So I woke the Lady Jessica, Idaho muttered. He lifted his face toward the ceiling, bellowed, My sword was first bloodied on Grumman. Great mother, he's drunk, Jessica thought. Idaho's dark, round face was drawn into a frown. His hair, curling like the fur of a black goat, was plastered with dirt. A jagged rent in his tunic exposed an expanse of the dress shirt he had worn at the dinner party earlier. Jessica crossed to him. One of the guards nodded to her without releasing his hold on Idaho. We didn't know what to do with him, my lady. He was creating a disturbance out front, refusing to come inside. We were afraid locals might come along and see him. That wouldn't do at all. Give us a bad name here. Where has he been? Jessica asked. He escorted one of the young ladies home from the dinner, my lady. Howard's orders. Which young lady? One of the escort wenches. You understand, my lady? He glanced at Mapes, lowered his voice. They're always calling on Idaho for special surveillance of the ladies. And Jessica thought, so they are. But why is he drunk? She frowned, turned to Mapes. Mapes, bring a stimulant. I'd suggest caffeine. Perhaps there's some of the spice coffee left. Mapes shrugged, headed for the kitchen. Her unlaced desert boots slap-slapped against the stone floor. Idaho swung his unsteady head around to peer at an angle toward Jessica. Killed more than three hundred men for the duke, he muttered. What I want to know is why I'm can't live on the ground here. Can't live on the ground here. "'What kind of place is this, huh?' "'A sound from the side-hall entry caught Jessica's attention. "'She turned, saw Ewey crossing to them, "'his medical kit swinging in his left hand. "'He was fully dressed, looked pale, exhausted. "'The diamond tattoo stood out sharply on his forehead. "'The good doctor, Idaho shouted. "'Was he doc, Splint pill man?' "'He turned blearily toward Jessica.' Making a damn fool of myself, eh? Huh? Jessica frowned, remained silent, wondering, why would Idaho get drunk? Was he drugged? Too much spice beer, Idaho said, attempting to straighten. Mapes returned with a steaming cup in her hands, stopped uncertainly behind Yui. She looked at Jessica, who shook her head. Yui put his kit on the floor, nodded greeting to Jessica, said, Spice beer, eh? Best damn stuff ever tasted, Idaho said. He tried to pull himself to attention. My sword was first blooded on Grumman. Killed a Harkin. Harkin? Killed him for the duke. Huey turned, looked at the cup in Mapes's hand. What is that? Caffeine, Jessica said. Huey took the cup, held it toward Idaho. Drink this, lad. "'Don't want any more to drink.' "'Drink it, I say.' Idaho's head wobbled toward Huey, and he stumbled one step ahead, dragging the guards with him. "'I'm all nighty fed up with pleasing the Imperial Universe, Doc. "'Just once, we're gonna do the thing my way.' "'Aff, do you drink this?' Huey said. "'It's just caffeine.' Sprawly like all the rest of this place.' "'Damn sun's surprise! "'Nothing has the right colour. "'Everything's wrong, or—' "'Well, it's night-time now,' Hughie said. "'He spoke reasonably. "'Drink this like a good lad. "'It'll make you feel better.' "'Don't want to feel better.' "'We can't argue with him all night,' Jessica said. "'And she thought, this calls for shock treatment. "'There's no reason for you to stay, my lady.' Ewey said, I can take care of this. Jessica shook her head. She stepped forward, slapped Idaho sharply across the cheek. He stumbled back with his guards glaring at her. This is no way to act in your duke's home, she said. She snatched the cup from Ewey's hands, spilling part of it, thrust the cup toward Idaho. Now drink this. That's an order. Idaho jerked himself upright, scowling down at her. He spoke slowly, with careful and precise enunciation. I do not take orders from a damn Harkonnen spy. Ewey stiffened, whirled to face Jessica. Her face had gone pale, but she was nodding. It all became clear to her. The broken stems of meaning she had seen in words and actions around her these past few days could now be translated. She found herself in the grip of anger almost too great to contain. It took the most profound of her Bene Gesserit training to quiet her pulse and smooth her breathing. Even then she could feel the blaze flickering. They were always calling on Idaho for surveillance of the ladies. She shot a glance at Yui. The doctor lowered his eyes. You knew this? she demanded. I heard rumours, my lady, but I didn't want to add to your burdens. Howat, she snapped. I want Thufi Howard brought to me immediately. But, my lady, immediately! It has to be Howard, she thought. Suspicion such as this could come from no other source without being discarded immediately. Idaho shook his head, mumbled, Chuck, the whole damn thing. Jessica looked down at the cup in her hand, abruptly dashed its contents across Idaho's face. Lock him in one of the guest rooms of the East Wing, she ordered. Let him sleep it off. The two guards stared at her unhappily. One ventured. Perhaps we should take him someplace else, milady. We could... He's supposed to be here, Jessica snapped. He has a job to do here. Her voice dripped bitterness. He's so good at watching the ladies. The guard swallowed. Do you know where the duke is? She demanded. He's at the command post, my lady. Is Howard with him? Howard's in the city, my lady. You will bring Howard to me at once, Jessica said. I will be in my sitting room when he arrives. But, my lady, if necessary, I will call the duke, she said. I hope it will not be necessary. I would not want to disturb him with this. Yes, my lady. Jessica thrust the empty cup into Mapes's hands, met the questioning stare of the blue within blue eyes. You may return to bed, Mapes. You're sure you'll not need me? Jessica smiled grimly. I'm sure. Perhaps this could wait until tomorrow, Hughie said. I could give you a sedative and you will return to your quarters and leave me to handle this my way she said. She patted his arm to take the sting out of her command. This is the only way. Abruptly, head high, she turned and stalked off through the house to her rooms. Cold walls, passages, a familiar door. She jerked the door open, strode in, and slammed it behind her. Jessica stood there glaring at the shield blanked windows of her sitting room. What? Could he be the one the Harkonnens bought? We shall see. Jessica crossed to the deep, old-fashioned armchair with an embroidered cover of schlag skin, moved the chair into position to command the door. She was suddenly very conscious of the Chris knife in its sheath on her leg. She removed the sheath and strapped it to her arm, tested the drop of it. Once more she glanced around the room, placing everything precisely in her mind against any emergency, the chaise near the corner, the straight chairs along the wall, the two low tables, her stand-mounted zither beside the door to her bedroom. Pale rose light glowed from the suspensor lamps. She dimmed them, sat down in the armchair, patting the upholstery, appreciating the chair's regal heaviness for this occasion. Now let him come, she thought. We shall see what we shall see. And she prepared herself in the Bene Gesserit fashion for the wait, accumulating patience, saving her strength. Sooner than she had expected, a rap sounded at the door and Howard entered at her command. She watched him without moving from the chair, seeing the crackling sense of drug-induced energy in his movements, seeing the fatigue beneath. Howard's roomy old eyes glittered, his leathery skin appeared faintly yellow in the room's light, and there was a wide, wet stain on the sleeve of his knife arm. She smelled blood there. Jessica gestured to one of the straight-backed chairs, said, "'Bring that chair and sit facing me.' Howard bowed, obeyed. "'That drunken fool of an Idaho,' he thought. He studied Jessica's face, wondering how he could save this situation.' It's long past time to clear the air between us, Jessica said. What troubles, my lady? He sat down, placed hands on knees. Don't play coy with me, she snapped. If Huey didn't tell you why I summoned you, then what of your spies in my household did? Shall we be at least that honest with each other? As you wish, my lady. First you will answer me one question, she said. Are you now a Harkonnen agent? Howard surged half out of his chair, his face dark with fury, demanding, You dare insult me so? Sit down, she said. You insulted me so. Slowly he sank back into the chair. And Jessica, reading the signs of this face that she knew so well, allowed herself a deep breath. It isn't Howard." Now I know you remain loyal to my duke, she said. I'm prepared, therefore, to forgive your affront to me. Is there something to forgive? Jessica scowled, wondering. Shall I play my trump? Shall I tell him of the Duke's daughter I've carried within me these few weeks? No. Leto himself doesn't know. This would only complicate his life, divert him in a time when he must concentrate on our survival. There is yet time to use this. A truth would solve this, she said, but we have no truth qualified by the high board. As you say, we've no truth Is there a traitor among us? she asked. I've studied our people with great care. Who could it be? Not Gurney. Certainly not Duncan. Their lieutenants are not strategically enough placed to consider. It's not you, Thufir. It cannot be Paul. I know it's not me. Dr. Yui, then? Shall I call him and put him to the test? You know that's an empty gesture, Howard said. He's conditioned by the High College. That I know for certain. Not to mention that his wife was a Bene Gesserit slain by the Harkonnens, Jessica said. So that's what happened to her, Howard said. Haven't you heard the hate in his voice when he speaks the Harkonnen name? You know I don't have the ear, Howard said. What brought this base suspicion on me, she asked. Howard frowned. My lady puts her servant in an impossible position. My first loyalty is to the duke. I'm prepared to forgive much because of that loyalty, she said. And again I must ask, is there something to forgive? Stalemate, she asked. He shrugged. Let us discuss something else for a minute, then, she said. Duncan Idaho, the admirable fighting man whose abilities at guarding and surveillance are so esteemed. Tonight he overindulged in something called spice beer. I hear reports that others among our people have been stupefied by this concoction. Is that true? You have your reports, my lady. So I do. Don't you see this drinking as a symptom, Sophia? My lady speaks riddles. Apply your mentat abilities to it, she snapped. What's the problem with Duncan and the others? I can tell you in four words. They have no home. He jabbed a finger at the floor. Arrakis, that's their home. Arrakis is an unknown. Caladan was their home, but we've uprooted them. They have no home, and they fear the Duke's failing them. He stiffened. "'Such talk from one of the men would be cause for—' "'Oh, stop that, Thufir! "'Is it defeatist or treacherous for a doctor to diagnose a disease correctly? "'My only intention is to cure the disease.' "'The Duke gives me charge over such matters.' "'But you understand I have a certain natural concern over the progress of this disease,' she said. "'And perhaps you'll grant I have certain abilities along these lines?' Will I have to shock him severely, she wondered. He needs shaking up. Something to break him from routine. There could be many interpretations for your concern, Howard said. He shrugged. Then you've already convicted me? Of course not, my lady. But I cannot afford to take any chances, the situation being what it is. A threat to my son got past you, right here in this house, she said. Who took that chance? His face darkened. I offered my resignation to the duke. Did you offer your resignation to me? Or to Paul? Now he was openly angry, betraying it in quickness of breathing, in dilation of nostrils, a steady stare. She saw a pulse beating at his temple. I'm the duke's man, he said, biting off the words. There is no traitor, she said. The threat's something else. Perhaps it has to do with Lay's guns. Perhaps they'll risk secreting a few Lay's guns with timing mechanisms aimed at house shields. Perhaps they'll... And who could tell after the blast if the explosion wasn't atomic? He asked. No, my lady. They'll not risk anything that illegal. Radiation lingers. The evidence is hard to erase. No. They'll observe most of the forms. It has to be a traitor. You're the Duke's man, she sneered. Would you destroy him in the effort to save him? He took a deep breath, then. If you're innocent, you'll have my most abject apologies. Look at you now, Thufia, she said. Humans live best when each has his own place. When each knows where he belongs in the scheme of things. Destroy the place and destroy the person. You and I, Thufir... Of all those who love the duke, are most ideally situated to destroy the other's place. Could I not whisper suspicions about you into the duke's ear at night? When would he be most susceptible to such whispering, Thufir? Must I draw it for you more clearly? You threaten me, he growled. Indeed not. I merely point out to you that someone is attacking us through the basic arrangement of our lives. It's clever, diabolical. I propose to negate this attack by so ordering our lives that there'll be no chinks for such barbs to enter. You accuse me of whispering baseless suspicions? Baseless, yes. You'd meet this with your own whispers? Your life is compounded of whispers, not mine, Thufir. Then you question my abilities, she sighed. Thufir, I want you to examine your own emotional involvement in this. The natural human's an animal without logic. Your projections of logic onto all affairs is unnatural, but suffered to continue for its usefulness. You are the embodiment of logic, a mentat. Yet your problem solutions are concepts that, in a very real sense, are projected outside yourself, there to be studied and rolled around, examined from all sides. "'You think now to teach me my trade?' he asked, and he did not try to hide the disdain in his voice. Anything outside yourself, this you can see and apply your logic to it, she said. But it's a human trait that when we encounter personal problems, those things most deeply personal are the most difficult to bring out for our logic to scan. We tend to flounder around, blaming everything but the actual deep-seated thing that's really chewing on us. You're deliberately attempting to undermine my faith in my abilities as a Mentat, he rasped. Were I to find one of our people attempting thus to sabotage any other weapon in our arsenal, I should not hesitate to denounce and destroy him. The finest Mentats have a healthy respect for the error factor in their computations, she said. I've never said otherwise. Then apply yourself to these symptoms we've both seen— drunkenness among the men, quarrels. They gossip and exchange wild rumors about Arrakis. They ignore the most simple. Idleness no more, he said. Don't try to divert my attention by trying to make a simple matter appear mysterious. She stared at him, thinking of the Duke's men rubbing their woes together in the barracks until you could almost smell the charge there, like burnt insulation. They're becoming like the men of the pre-guild legend, she thought like the men of the lost star-searcher, Ampoliros, sick at their guns, forever seeking, forever prepared, and forever unready. Why have you never made full use of my abilities in your service to the Duke? She asked. Do you fear a rival for your position? He glared at her, the old eyes blazing. I know something of the training they give you, Benny Jesserit. He broke off, scowling. Go ahead, say it she said. Bene Gesserit witches. I know something of the real training they give you, he said. I've seen it come out in Paul. I'm not fooled by what your schools tell the public. You exist only to serve. The shock must be severe. And he's almost ready for it, she thought. You listen respectfully to me in council, she said. Yet you seldom heed my advice. Why? I don't trust your Bene Gesserit motives, he said. You may think you can look through a man. You may think you can make a man do exactly what you... You poor fool, Thufir, she raged. He scowled, pushing himself back in the chair. Whatever rumors you've heard about our schools, she said, the truth is far greater. If I wished to destroy the Duke, or you, or any other person within my reach, you could not stop me. And she thought, Why do I let pride drive such words out of me? This is not the way I was trained. This is not how I must shock him. Howard slipped a hand beneath his tunic where he kept a tiny projector of poison darts. She wears no shield, he thought. Is this just a brag she makes? I could slay her now, but... Ah, the consequences if I'm wrong. Jessica saw the gesture toward his pocket, said... Let us pray violence shall never be necessary between us. A worthy prayer, he agreed. Meanwhile, the sickness spreads among us, she said. I must ask you again, isn't it more reasonable to suppose the Harkonnens have planted this suspicion to pit the two of us against each other? We appear to have returned to stalemate, he said. She sighed, thinking he's almost ready for it. The Duke and I are father and mother surrogates to our people, she said. The physician? He hasn't married you, Howard said. She forced herself to calmness, thinking a good riposte that. But he'll not marry anyone else, she said. Not as long as I live. And we are surrogates, as I've said. To break up this natural order in our affairs, to disturb, disrupt, and confuse us, which target offers itself most enticingly to the Harkonnens? He sensed the direction she was taking, and his brows drew down in a lowering scowl. "'The Duke?' she asked. "'Attractive target, yes. But no one with the possible exception of Paul is better guarded. Me? I tempt them, surely. But they must know the Bene Gesserit make difficult targets. And there's a better target, one whose duties create, necessarily, a monstrous blind spot.' one to whom suspicion is as natural as breathing, one who builds his entire life on innuendo and mystery. She darted her right hand toward him. You! Howard, started to leap from his chair. I have not dismissed you, Thufir, she flared. The old Mentat almost fell back into the chair, so quickly did his muscles betray him. She smiled without mirth. Now you know something of the real training they give us, she said. Howard tried to swallow in a dry throat. Her command had been regal, peremptory, uttered in a tone and manner he had found completely irresistible. His body had obeyed her before he could think about it. Nothing could have prevented his response, not logic, not passionate anger, Nothing. To do what she had done spoke of a sensitive, intimate knowledge of the person thus commanded, a depth of control he had not dreamed possible. "'I have said to you before that we should understand each other,' she said. "'I meant you should understand me. I already understand you. And I tell you now that your loyalty to the Duke is all that guarantees your safety with me.' He stared at her, wet his lips with his tongue. If I desired a puppet, the duke would marry me, she said. He might even think he did it of his own free will. Howard lowered his head, looked upward through his sparse lashes. Only the most rigid control kept him from calling the guard. Control, and the suspicion now that woman might not permit it. His skin crawled with the memory of how she had controlled him. In the moment of hesitation, she could have drawn a weapon and killed him. Does every human have this blind spot? He wondered. Can any of us be ordered into action before he can resist? The idea staggered him. Who could stop a person with such power? You've glimpsed the fist within the Bene glove, she said. Few glimpse it and live. And what I did was a relatively simple thing for us. You've not seen my entire arsenal. Think on that. Why aren't you out destroying the Duke's enemies? He asked. What would you have me destroy? She asked. Would you have me make a weakling of our Duke? Have him forever leaning on me? But with such power. Power's a two-edged sword, Thufir, she said. You think, how easy for her to shape a human tool to thrust into an enemy's vitals. True, Thufir, even into your vitals, yet what would I accomplish? If enough of us, Bene Gesserit did this, wouldn't it make all Bene Gesserit suspect? We don't want that, Thufir. We do not wish to destroy ourselves. She nodded. We truly exist only to serve. I cannot answer you, he said. You know I cannot answer. You'll say nothing about what has happened here to anyone, She said, I know you, Thufir. My lady. Again, the old man tried to swallow in a dry throat. And he thought, she has great powers, yes. But would these not make her an even more formidable tool for the Harkonnens? The Duke could be destroyed as quickly by his friends as by his enemies, she said. I trust now you'll get to the bottom of this suspicion and remove it. If it proves baseless he said. If, she sneered. If, he said. You are tenacious, she said. Cautious, he said, and aware of the error factor. Then I'll pose another question for you. What does it mean to you that you stand before another human, that you are bound and helpless, and the other human holds a knife at your throat, yet this other human refrains from killing you? Frees you from your bonds And gives you the knife to use as you will She lifted herself out of the chair Turned her back on him You may go now, Thufir The old Mentat arose Hesitated Hand creeping toward the deadly weapon Beneath his tunic He was reminded of the bull ring And of the duke's father Who'd been brave no matter what his other failings And one day of the Corrida long ago The fierce, black beast had stood there, head bowed, immobilized and confused. The old duke had turned his back on the horns, cape thrown flamboyantly over one arm, while cheers rained down from the stands. I am the bull, and she the matador, Howard thought. He withdrew his hand from the weapon, glanced at the sweat glistening in his empty palm. And he knew that whatever the facts proved to be in the end He would never forget this moment Nor lose this sense of supreme admiration for the Lady Jessica Quietly, he turned and left the room Jessica lowered her gaze from the reflection in the windows Turned and stared at the closed door Now we'll see some proper action, she whispered
1: Do you wrestle with dreams?
0: Do you contend with shadows? Do you move in a kind of sleep? Time has slipped away. Your life is stolen. You tarried with trifles, victim of your folly. Dirge for Jamus on the Funeral Plain From Songs of Muad'Dib by the Princess Irulan Leto stood in the foyer of his house, ...studying a note by the light of a single suspensor lamp. Dawn was yet a few hours away, and he felt his tiredness. A Fremen messenger had brought the note to the outer guard just now as the Duke arrived from his command post. The note read, A column of smoke by day, a pillar of fire by night. and There was no signature. What does it mean? he wondered. The messenger had gone without waiting for an answer, and before he could be questioned, he had slipped into the night like some smoky shadow. Leto pushed the paper into a tunic pocket, thinking to show it to Howard later. He brushed a lock of hair from his forehead, took a sighing breath. The anti-fatigue pills were beginning to wear thin. It had been a long two days since the dinner party, and longer than that since he had slept. On top of all the military problems, there'd been the disquieting session with Howard and the report on his meeting with Jessica. Should I waken Jessica? He wondered. There's no reason to play the secrecy game with her any longer. Or is there? Blast and damn that Duncan Idaho. He shook his head. No, not Duncan. I was wrong not to take Jessica into my confidence from the first. I must do it now before more damage is done. The decision made him feel better, and he hurried from the foyer through the great hall and down the passages toward the family wing. At the turn where the passages split to the service area, he paused. A strange mewling came from somewhere down the service passage. Leto put his left hand to the switch on his shield belt, slipped his kinjal into his right hand. The knife conveyed a sense of reassurance. That strange sound had sent a chill through him. Softly, the duke moved down the service passage, cursing the inadequate illumination. The smallest of suspensers had been spaced about eight meters apart along here, and tuned to their dimmest level, the dark stone walls swallowed the light. A dull blob stretching across the floor appeared out of the gloom ahead. Leto hesitated, almost activated his shield, but refrained because that would limit his movements, his hearing, and because the captured shipment of Lay's guns had left him filled with doubts. Silently he moved toward the grey blob, saw that it was a human figure, a man face down on the stone. Leto turned him over with a foot. Knife poised, bent close in the dim light to see the face. It was the smuggler, Tuek. A wet stain down his chest. The dead eyes stared with empty darkness. Leto touched the stain. Warm. How could this man be dead here? Leto asked himself, who killed him? The mewling sound was louder here. It came from ahead and down the side passage to the central room where they had installed the main shield generator for the house. Hand on belt switch, kinjal poised, the duke skirted the body, slipped down the passage and peered around the corner toward the shield generator room. Another grey blob lay stretched on the floor a few paces away, and he saw at once that this was the source of the noise. The shape crawled toward him with painful slowness, gasping, mumbling. Leto stilled his sudden constriction of fear, darted down the passage, crouched beside the crawling figure. It was Mapes, the Fremen housekeeper, her hair tumbled around her face, clothing disarrayed. A dull shininess of dark stain spread from her back, along her side. He touched her shoulder, and she lifted herself on her elbows, head tipped up to peer at him, the eyes black-shadowed emptiness.
2: It's you. Killed God Sent Get Duik
1: uh. Escape uh. lady. Uh. You You Here No uh.
0: She flopped forward Her head thumping against the stone Leto felt for pulse at the temples There was none He looked at the stain. She'd been stabbed in the back. Who? His mind raced. Did she mean someone had killed a guard? And Tuak? Had Jessica sent for him? Why? He started to stand up. A sixth sense warned him. He flashed a hand toward the shield switch. Too late. A numbing shock slammed his arm aside. He felt pain there, saw a dart protruding from the sleeve, sensed paralysis spreading from it up his arm. It took an agonizing effort to lift his head and look down the passage. Yui stood in the open door of the generator room. His face reflected yellow from the light of a single, brighter suspensor above the door. There was stillness from the room behind him, no sound of generators. Yui, Leto thought. He sabotaged the house generators. We're wide open. Yui began walking toward him, pocketing a dart gun. Yui? How? The paralysis reached his legs and he slid to the floor with his back propped against the stone wall. Yui's face carried a look of sadness as he bent over, touched Leto's forehead. The Duke found he could feel the touch, but it was remote, dull. The drug on the dart is selective. You can speak, but I'd advise against it. He glanced down the hall and again bent over Leto, pulled out the dart, tossed it aside. The sound of the dart clattering on the stones was faint and distant to the Duke's ears. It can't be Yue, Leto thought. He's conditioned.
2: I'm sorry, my dear Duke, but there are things which will make greater demands than this. Yui touched the diamond tattoo on his forehead. I find it very strange myself, an override on my puretic conscience. But I wish to kill a man. Yes, I actually wish it. I will stop at nothing to do it. He looked down at the Duke. Oh, not you, my dear Duke. The Baron Harkonnen. I wish to kill the Baron. Baron. <clears throat> Be quiet, please, my dear Duke. You haven't much time. That peg tooth I put in your mouth after the tumble at Narkal. That tooth must be replaced. In a moment, I'll render you unconscious and replace that tooth. He opened his hand, stared at something in it. An exact duplicate, its core shaped most exquisitely like a nerve. It'll escape the usual detectors, even a fast scanning. But if you bite down hard on it, the cover crushes. Then, when you expel your breath sharply, you fill the air around you with a poison gas.
0: Most deadly. Leto stared up at Yui, seeing madness in the man's eyes, the perspiration along brow and chin. You were
2: dead anyway, my poor duke. But you will get close to the baron before you die. He'll believe you're stupefied by drugs beyond any dying effort to attack him. And you will be drugged and tied. But attack can take strange forms. And you will remember the tooth. The tooth, Duke Leto Atreides. You will remember
0: the tooth." The old doctor leaned closer and closer until his face and drooping mustache dominated Leto's narrowing vision the tooth. Why? Yui lowered himself to one knee beside the Duke. I made a
2: Shaitan's bargain with the Baron, and I must be certain he has fulfilled his half of it. When I see him, I'll know. When I look at the Baron, then I will know. But I'll never enter his presence without the price. You're the price, my poor Duke. And I'll know when I see him. My poor Warner taught me many things. And one is to see certainty of truth when the stress is great.
0: I cannot do it always, but when I see the Baron, then I will know. Leto tried to look down at the tooth in Yui's hand. He felt this was happening in a nightmare. It could not be. Yui's purple lips turned up in a grimace. I'll not get
2: close enough to the Baron, or I'd do
0: this myself. No,
2: I'll be detained at a safe distance. But you, ah, now, you, my lovely weapon. He'll want you close to him to gloat over you, to boast a little.
0: Leto found himself almost hypnotized by a muscle on the left side of Yui's jaw. The muscle twisted when the man spoke. Yui leaned closer and you my good duke my precious duke you must
2: remember this tooth
0: he held it up between thumb and forefinger
2: it will be all that remains to you
0: leto's mouth moved without sound then refuse ah no
2: you mustn't refuse Because in return for this small service, I'm doing a thing for you. I will save your son and your woman. No other can do it. They can be removed to a place where no Harkonnen can reach them. How save them? By making it appear they're dead. By secreting them among people who draw knife at hearing the Harkonnen name who hate the Harkonnens so much they'll burn a chair in which a Harkonnen has sat salt the ground over which a Harkonnen has walked
0: Can you feel
2: anything in your jaw?
0: He touched Leto's jaw The Duke found that he could not answer He sensed distant tugging saw Ewe's hand come up with a Ducal signet ring For Paul you'll be unconscious
2: presently Goodbye, my poor duke. When next we meet, we'll have no time for conversation.
0: Cool remoteness spread upward from Leto's jaw across his cheeks. The shadowy hall narrowed to a pinpoint, with Yui's purple lips centered in it. Remember the tooth. The tooth. there should be a science of discontent people need hard times and oppression to develop psychic muscles from collected sayings of muadib by the princess iralam jessica awoke in the dark feeling premonition in the stillness around her she could not understand why her mind and body felt so sluggish skin raspings of fear ran along her nerves She thought of sitting up and turning on a light, but something stayed the decision. Her mouth felt strange. Lump, 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 lump. It was a dull sound, directionless in the dark. Somewhere, the waiting moment was packed with time, with rustling needle-stick movements. She began to feel her body, grew aware of bindings on wrists and ankles, a gag in her mouth... She was on her side, hands tied behind her She tested the bindings, realized they were crimskill fiber would only claw tighter as she pulled And now she remembered There had been movement in the darkness of her bedroom Something wet and pungent slapped against her face filling her mouth, hands grasping for her She had gasped, one indrawn breath sensing the narcotic in the wetness Consciousness had receded sinking her into a black bin of terror. It has come, she thought. How simple it was to subdue the Bene Gesserit. All it took was treachery. Howard was right. She forced herself not to pull on her bindings. This is not my bedroom, she thought. They've taken me someplace else. Slowly she marshaled the inner calmness. She grew aware of the smell of her own stale sweat with its chemical infusion of fear. Where is Paul? She asked herself. My son, what have they done to him? Calmness. She forced herself to it, using the ancient routines, but terror remained so near. Leto. Where are you, Leto? She sensed a diminishing in the dark. It began with shadows dimensions separated became new thorns of awareness white a line under a door i'm on the floor people walking she sensed it through the floor jessica squeezed back the memory of terror i must remain calm alert and prepared i may get only one chance again she forced the inner calmness The ungainly thumping of her heartbeats evened, shaping out time. She counted back. I was unconscious about an hour. She closed her eyes, focused her awareness onto the approaching footsteps. Four people. She counted the differences in their steps. I must pretend I'm still unconscious. She relaxed against the cold floor, testing her body's readiness, heard a door open, sensed increased light through her eyelids feet approached someone standing over her
3: you are awake do not pretend
0: she opened her eyes the Baron Vladimir Harkonnen stood over her around them she recognized the cellar room where Paul had slept saw his cot at one side empty Suspenser lamps were brought in by guards distributed near the open door There was a glare of light in the hallway beyond that hurt her eyes. She looked up at the Baron. He wore a yellow cape that bulged over his
3: portable suspensers.
0: The fat cheeks were two cherubic mounds beneath spider-black eyes.
3: The drug was timed. We knew to the minute when you'd be coming out of it.
0: How could that be? She wondered. They'd have to know my exact weight, my metabolism, my...
3: yui Such a pity you must remain gagged. We could have such an interesting conversation.
0: You is the only one it could be, she thought. How? The Baron glanced behind him at the door. Come in, Piter. She had never before seen the man who entered to stand beside the Baron, but the face was known. And the man, Piter de Vries, the Mentat assassin. She studied him. Hawk features, blue-ink eyes that suggested he was a native of Arrakis, but subtleties of movement and stance that told her he was not. And his flesh was too well-firmed with water. He was tall, though slender, and something about him suggested effeminacy.
3: Such a pity we cannot have our conversation, my dear Lady Jessica. However, I am aware of your abilities. He glanced at the Mentat. Isn't that true, Piter?
0: As you say, Baron. The voice touched her spine with a wash of coldness. She had never heard such a chill voice. To one with a Bene Gesserit training, the voice screamed killer.
3: I have a surprise for Piter. He thinks he has come here to collect his reward. You, Lady Jessica. But I wish to demonstrate a thing that he does not really want you you play with me, Baron? Piter smiled. Seeing that
0: smile, Jessica wondered that the Baron did not leap to defend himself from this Piter. Then she corrected herself. The Baron could not read that smile. He did not have the training.
3: In many ways, Piter is quite naive. He doesn't admit to himself what a deadly creature you are, Lady Jessica. I'd show him, but it'd be a foolish risk.
0: The Baron smiled at Piter, whose face had become a waiting mask.
3: I know what Piter really wants. Piter wants power. You promised
0: I could have her. The tenor voice had lost some of its cold reserve. Jessica heard the clue tones in the man's voice, allowing herself an inward shudder. How could the Baron have made such an animal out of a mentat? I give you a choice, Piter. What choice? The Baron snapped fat fingers.
3: This woman, and exile from the Imperium, or the Duchy of Atreides on Arrakis to rule as you see fit in my name. Jessica watched the
0: Baron's spider eyes study Piter.
3: You could be Duke here in all but name.
0: Is my Leto dead then? Jessica asked herself. She felt a silent wail begin somewhere in her mind. The Baron kept his attention on the Mentat.
3: Understand yourself, Piter. You want her because she was a Duke's woman, a symbol of his power, beautiful, useful, exquisitely trained for her role. But an entire duchy, Piter, that's more than a symbol. That's the reality. With it, you could have many women and more. You do not joke with Piter?
0: The Baron turned with that dancing lightness the suspensors gave him.
3: Joke I? Remember, I am giving up the boy. You heard what the traitor said about the lads' training. They are alike, this mother and son. Deadly. I must go now. I will send in the guard I've reserved for this moment. He's stone deaf. His orders will be to convey you on the first leg of your journey into exile. He will subdue this woman if he sees her gain control of you. He'll not permit you to untie her gag until you're off Arrakis. If you choose not to leave, he has other orders.
4: You don't have to leave. I've chosen.
3: (laughs) Such quick decision can mean only one thing.
4: I will
0: take the
3: duchy. And Jessica thought... "'Doesn't Pyter know the
0: Baron's lying to him? "'But how could he know? "'He's a twisted mentat.' "'The Baron glanced down at Jessica.
3: "'Is it not wonderful that I know Pyter so well? "'I wagered with my master-at-arms "'that this would be Piter's choice. <laughs> "'Well, I leave now. "'Oh, this is much better. "'Ah, much better. <laughs> "'You understand, Lady Jessica? "'I had no rancor toward you. "'It's a necessity.' Much better this way, (laughs) yes, and I've not actually ordered you destroyed. When it's asked of me what happened to you, I can shrug it off in all truth. You
4: leave it to me, then?
3: The guard I send you will take your orders. Whatever's done, I leave to you. Yes, there will be no blood on my hands here. It's your decision. Yes, I know nothing of it. You will wait until I've gone before doing whatever you must do. Yes, well. Ah, yes. Yes. Good.
0: He fears the questioning of a truth-sayer, Jessica thought. Who? Ah, a Reverend Mother Gaius Helen, of course. If he knows he must face her questions, then the Emperor is in on this for sure. Ah, my poor Leto. With one last glance at Jessica, the baron turned, went out the door. She followed him with her eyes, thinking, it's as the Reverend Mother warned, too potent an adversary. Two Harkonnen troopers entered. Another, his face a scarred mask, followed, and stood in the doorway with drawn Lays gun. The deaf one, Jessica thought, studying the scarred face. The baron knows I could use the voice on any other man. Scarface looked at Piter
4: We've the boy on a litter outside What are your orders?
0: Piter spoke to Jessica I'd thought of binding
4: you by a threat held over your son But I begin to see that would not have worked I let emotion cloud reason Bad policy for a mentat
0: He looked at the first pair of troopers Turning so the deaf one could read his lips
4: Take them into the desert, as the traitor suggested for the boy. His plan is a good one. The worms will destroy all evidence. Their bodies must never be found. You don't wish to dispatch them yourself?
0: He reads lips, Jessica thought.
4: I follow my baron's example. Take them where the traitor said.
0: Jessica heard the harsh Mentat control in Piter's voice, thought... He, too, fears the truth-sayer. shrugged, turned, and went through the doorway. He hesitated there, and Jessica thought he might turn back for a last look at her. But he went out without turning.
4: Me, I wouldn't like the thought of facing that truth-sayer after this night's work.
0: You
1: ain't likely ever to run into that old witch. One of the other troopers went around to Jessica's
0: head, bent over her.
1: It ain't getting our work done standing around here chattering. Take her feet... Why don't we kill here? Too messy. Unless she wants to strangle em. Me? I likes a nice straightforward job. Drop on the desert like that traitor said, cut em once or twice, leave the evidence for the worms. Nothing to clean up afterwards.
4: Yeah. Well, I guess you're
0: right. Jessica listened to them. Watching. Registering. But the gag blocked her voice, and there was the deaf one to consider. Scarface holstered his Lays gun, took her feet. They lifted her like a sack of grain, manoeuvred her through the door, and dumped her onto a suspensor-boyed litter with another bound figure. As they turned her, fitting her to the litter, she saw her companion's face. Paul! He was bound, but not gagged. His face was no more than ten centimeters from hers, eyes closed, his breathing even. Is he drugged? She wondered. The troops lifted the litter and Paul's eyes opened the smallest fraction, dark slits staring at her. He mustn't try the voice, she prayed. The deaf guard. Paul's eyes closed. He had been practicing the awareness breathing, calming his mind, listening to their captors. The deaf one posed a problem, but Paul contained his despair. The mind-calming Bene Gesserit regimen his mother had taught him kept him poised, ready to expand any opportunity. Paul allowed himself another slit-eyed inspection of his mother's face. She appeared unharmed, gagged, though. He wondered who could have captured her. His own captivity was plain enough to bed with a capsule prescribed by Yui, awaking to find himself bound to this litter. Perhaps a similar thing had befallen her. Logic said the traitor was Yui, but he held final decision in abeyance. There was no understanding it. A souk doctor, a traitor. The litter tipped slightly as the Harkonnen troopers maneuvered it through a doorway into starlit night. A suspensor boy rasped against the doorway. Then they were on sand, feet grating in it. A thopter wing loomed overhead, blotting the stars. The litter settled to the ground. Paul's eyes adjusted to the faint light. He recognized the deaf trooper as the man who opened the thopter door, peered inside at the green gloom illuminated by the instrument panel. This the thopter we're supposed to use? He turned to watch his companion's lips.
1: It's the one the trader said was fixed for desert
4: work. But it's one of them little liaison jobs. Ain't room in there for more than them and two of us. Two's enough. We can take care of it from here on, Kinnett. The Baron, he told me to make sure what happened to them two. What are you so worried about? She's a Bene Gesserit witch. They have powers.
0: Ah. The Litter Bearer made the sign of the fist at his ear.
1: One of them, eh? Know what you mean? Eh, she'll be worm meat soon enough Don't suppose even a Benny Jesuit witch Has powers
0: over one of them big worms Eh, Zygo? He nudged the litter bearer Yep The litter bearer returned to the litter Took Jessica's shoulders Come on, Canette You can go along if
1: you want to make sure what happens It's nice of you to invite me, Zygo
0: Jessica felt herself lifted "'the wing shadow spinning stars. "'She was pushed into the rear of the thopter, "'her crimscale fibre bindings examined, "'and she was strapped down. "'Paul was jammed in beside her, strapped securely, "'and she noted his bonds were simple rope. "'Scarface, the deaf one they called Kinette, "'took his place in front. "'The litter-bearer, the one they called Zygo, "'came around and took the other front seat.' Kinet closed his door, bent to the controls The thopter took off in a wing-tucked surge, headed south over the shield wall Zygo tapped his companion's shoulder
1: Why don't you turn around and keep an eye on them two? Sure you know the way to go?
0: Kinet watched Zygo's lips I listen to the traitor, same's you Kinet swiveled his seat Jessica saw the glint of starlight on a laser gun in his hand The thopter's light-walled interior seemed to collect illumination as her eyes adjusted, but the guard's scarred face remained dim. Jessica tested her seatbelt, found it loose. She felt roughness in the strap against her left arm, realized the strap had been almost severed, would snap at a sudden jerk. "'Has someone been at this thopter, preparing it for us?' she wondered. "'Who?' Slowly she twisted her bound feet clear of Paul's.
4: Sure do seem ashamed to waste a good looking woman like this. You ever have any high born types?
0: He turned to look at the pilot.
1: Benny Jezerit ain't all high born. But they all looks, hidey.
0: He can see me plain enough, Jessica thought. She brought her bound legs up onto the seat, curled into a sinuous ball staring at Scarface.
4: Real pretty she is. Sure do seem a shame.
0: Kinnett wet his lips with his tongue. He looked at Zygo. You
1: thinking what I think you're thinking? Who'd be to know? Afterwards,
4: just never had me no Highborns. Might never get a chance like this one again. You lay a hand on my mother.
0: Paul glared at Scarface.
1: Hey, Cubs gotta bark. Ain't got no bite,
0: though. And Jessica thought, Paul's pitching his voice too high. It may work, though. They flew on in silence. These poor fools, Jessica thought, studying her guards and reviewing the Baron's words. They'll be killed as soon as they report success on their mission. The Baron wants no witnesses. The Thopter banked over the southern rim of the shield wall, and Jessica saw a moon-shadowed expanse of sand beneath them.
1: This ought to be far enough. The trader said to put him on the sand anywhere near the shield
0: wall. He dipped the craft toward the dunes in a long, falling stoop, brought it up stiffly over the desert surface. Jessica saw Paul begin taking the rhythmic breaths of the calming exercise. He closed his eyes, opened them. Jessica stared, helpless to aid him. He hasn't mastered the voice yet, she thought. If he fails... The Thopter touched sand with a soft lurch, and Jessica, looking north back across the shield wall, saw a shadow of wings settle out of sight up there. Someone's following us, she thought. Who? Then, the ones the Baron set to watch this pair. And they will be watchers for the watchers, too.